Welcome back to the Build Podcast. I'm Blake Bartlett, a partner at OpenView. We're here to help software founders and operators identify and unpack sustainable growth strategies in the ever-changing world of SaaS. Today, we hear from Palin Kenez and Naaman Khan from design software company Zeppelin. Palin is Zeppelin's founder and CEO, and Naaman is Zeppelin's CMO. In this episode, they walk us through the importance of design delivery and what makes it so challenging. And how Zeppelin reached tens of millions of dollars in ARR profitably without raising capital. Hint, it has a lot to do with product-led growth and embracing the community for both product feedback and viral promotion. All that and more in this episode of Build. So let's dive in with Palin and Naaman. Well, Palin and Naaman, thank you so much for joining us here on the Build Podcast. It's great to have you on the show. Hey, Blake. Thank you. I'm also very grateful to be here. We are very excited. Thanks, Blake. Great to be here. An honor to be with you. And I want to start out by getting some background on Zeppelin. So maybe the founding story and the background story would be great. How did Zeppelin get started? Actually, Zeppelin started completely as an accident. I didn't have a goal to build a company. I never really thought of being a CEO. I was a product designer working at an agency in Istanbul, Turkey. We are four co-founders, by the way. My co-founders are all engineers. At that agency, while we were working on the apps that we were building, we were having a lot of back and forth while sharing the designs and while collaborating on them. And we searched for other tools. We couldn't find one that we really liked. And then we said, hey, let's build our own solution. And it started very community-driven. In three months, we released our first beta. We shared it on Product Hunt. And in the first week, 6,000 people signed up. Then we actually realized that our own problem was actually an industry problem. And then we applied for Y Combinator, came here to California. Right after YC, we raised our seed round. And now we find ourselves in a position that I now live in San Francisco. We now have 60 people at Zeppelin. We are planning to add 60 other people. We are at ARR in tens of millions. We are profitable. We recently surpassed 4 million users. And every month, product designers are publishing 7 million designs to Zeppelin. And all of these happened before we really seriously invested in our go-to-market functions. We actually have an amazing user community that really loves Zeppelin. And these were all actually the results of that. And only in the last year, we actually started investing in our go-to-market. And now I'm actually very excited of our next phase of growth. And the mission of Zeppelin is to deliver on the promise of design. So what exactly is the promise of design and why is it hard to deliver on it? The potential of design is actually infinite. When done well, it can greatly increase the usefulness of a product. You can make the experience for your users very pleasing thanks to that design. But it's also not something that you can just get by really throwing resources at it. It's all about empathy. You need to care those users. You need to care their experience. It's not something that actually you can 
pay for. It's more of a mindset. And Nimon actually has a great story here. When we first met and I was trying to explain him what's the promise of design. Nimon, do you want to jump in and tell that story? Is this the yogurt story? I can tell the yogurt story. It was great. Yeah, yes, the yogurt one. <laughs> so it's sometimes hard for people who don't work in product design to understand the potential of design that Palin's talking about. So it's easier to use like a consumer goods example because it's very tactical. So that's where my yogurt story comes in. So like for those of you who need to know, it's I like yogurt. I tend to eat a lot of yogurt every morning for breakfast. And one of the challenges I have with eating yogurt every day is I hate yogurt product packaging. And the main reason is I would grab a little cup of yogurt. There'd be like this metal foil on top. I would have trouble like opening it. I'd finally kind of open it. It wouldn't really open straight. And then there'd be yogurt on the back of this metal foil. I would like want to lick it because it's yogurt. And then I'd like cut my tongue on the sharp edge. Things would splatter everywhere. And it's something I did every day. And you may say this is like a small thing, like what's your problem? It's actually an issue. The issue is I think about the person who designed that yogurt packaging. And I think, did they just not care enough? Did they just not think through, hey, like when I build this thing, how is the user going to use it? Do I have empathy for the top five use cases? Do I care about making their experience great? Because it's probably something they're going to do every day for like the whole year. And if I, you know, if I make this experience better, they may love my product even more before they've even like tasted the yogurt. So when Palin talks about like the potential of design, like just think about those things you do every single day. You don't need like gargantuan feature in many cases. You actually just need to care enough to design the thing that you're building, whether it's like an app or whether it's like a yogurt container, you just need to care enough so that you're delighting the user. And as Palin said, that actually, you can't throw money at that problem. You, it's a mindset, you have to care about it. And I'm actually still having the same yogurt problem, Neymar. <laughs> <laughs> I can continue with why is hard to deliver. It's hard to deliver because yes, you can design something, but the discipline required to make it a real product is different. It requires a connection between functions that are really diverse. So let's say it's tough for a designer to fully understand what their developers are faced with, or the same applies to developers. It's tough for a developer to do the same. In fact, I actually studied industrial product design and 50% of our training was on post-design workflow because it doesn't matter if you have a great design, unless it's built or produced well. So within this idea of the promise of design and delivering on the promise of design, it leads me to the obvious question, which is what is Zeppelin's role in that? I know for me as a SaaS-focused VC, I hear the Zeppelin name mentioned alongside various design tools like Figma, Sketch, Adobe XD, and others. So would you all describe Zeppelin as being a design tool, or is it something else? Blake, it's actually something else. And yes, you're right. It's pretty common that we get described of as a design tool. We're actually not a design tool at all. You actually don't design an app in Zeppelin. It's actually a tool that provides a very different set of a value for users. It's actually a tool that you use to bring designs to life. It's a tool you use to deliver on that promise of design that Pillan talked about. And absolutely, we support all of the major design tools like Figma and Adobe XD and Sketch. But we're really about moving 
from design to an actual app with running code. And when you want to do that, you have a very different set of challenges that are unique, very different than creating the design. And that's what Zeppelin solves. So in addition to having designers and developers, we actually have copywriters, product managers, marketers, all of these other disciplines using Zeppelin to bring that design to life. And it's, you know, it's, it's a segment we like to think of that we like to call design delivery as opposed to design creation. And we summarize Zeppelin really as the following, that it's an organized place where you can publish designs, where the entire team can collaborate to ship beautiful products together. So we really focus on providing that organized workspace, the ability to publish designs, where like everyone on the team can work together. And then, you know, the focus is absolutely on delivery or, or shipping that product. So what exactly is design delivery? What, what does this look like in practice in real life? I can take that. So there are actually many steps to bring a product to life, like research, ideation, design creation, and design delivery is also one of them. We mentioned that product design has a lot of potential, but transition from design creation to design delivery is often underestimated. It's actually where the infinite possibilities we mentioned with design meets with bounded realities. Like you have your technical limitations, you have your time limitations, resources. And design delivery also requires precision. I can give an example here. Imagine a button being a few pixels off, and I'm not really even mentioning the visual of it. It's because of that a few pixels, let's say when you translate the title into another language, your users may end up with not even being able to read that button. And one other thing that I can mention about design delivery, it's also where incredible diversity of skills come together. You Neyman mentioned some of them. You have your designers, you have your developers, you have your QA people, PMs. With, and with all these people, with all these functions, now you need the effective collaboration. Now that actually becomes very critical. And that's why we think that here you need the right tool, you need the right process, you need the right skills for this specific step. Yeah, and it might be helpful with like another analogy and then, you know, I'll bring analogies in, yogurt and all kinds of stuff. An analogy to think of that I think may help people understand design delivery is just think about building a house or like, let's say a skyscraper, just, you know, building a house, let's say. You know, the architect is the designer. The architect is the one working in a pretty sophisticated, specialized piece of software to architect that house, designing the floors and like designing the layouts. And it's like a highly skilled function. Great. That's what they're using. But when you go to build that house, the person on the ground at the job site pouring the foundation, that's a very different functional skill. That's the delivery of that design. And the person on the ground, like pouring the foundation, like they're going to need something very different. They're, you probably don't want to give them access to the native architectural design. They're not an architect. They actually don't need to see that. What they need is a blueprint. They need to, that's why you often see people, you know, on the job site with a blueprint. And so 
think of Zeppelin really as that design delivery tool that's helping, you know, bring that architect together with the people on the ground building. That's what design delivery is. And it's its own category. It's its own set of problems. And that's exactly, you know, what Zeppelin has been solving since its inception. It's a really helpful explanation. I think the analogies, uh, naming that you've given with the uh, the yogurt example or the architect and the, the builder example makes sense. On the architecture one, it, it really makes sense because, you know, I could envision getting a really flashy design file, perhaps even something that's in 3D, perhaps even something that's, you know, virtual reality or something like that. But again, if you put yourself in the shoes of the person laying the foundation, that flashy picture isn't going to help. <laughs> they need the specific context. They need the specifications for their actual job. And so that makes a lot of sense. And it also makes sense to me thinking about this in the context of design tools, which is that you know a lot of the emphasis and a lot of the conversation recently has been around the actual design tool itself, which is you know how is the design being made? What does it look like? But what you're illustrating here and really pointing to, and, and, and it resonates with me, is that that is only the starting point. How is that design being communicated to the next links in the chain? And how is that design being produced? And recognizing that that is a, a multidisciplinary task and that it needs tooling and that it needs collaboration help in order to make it happen and make it effective. Yeah, there's almost like, and now that I think of it, there's like a bit of an irony here. Like I think product designers are so awesome of having user empathy, right? Which is like, I don't want a user to ever need training on this app I'm building. Like I think they're really, really good at that. I think one area where I see the opposite happening is they're not as empathetic with their own team, which is that, hey, like if I've got a developer, I've got a copywriter, I've got a QA tester, like don't I need to provide them with a collaboration workspace for my designs where they will feel welcome. And I think like inviting the builder onto your architectural file is like not being very empathetic to your colleagues, right? Like I think you need to be, hey, like there's a specific phase where now this becomes, you know, part of a bigger group and we need a special place to now bring this thing to life, a delivery platform, right? Like a design delivery platform, not a design creation platform. So diving into the specifics of what that looks like, how has design delivery historically been tackled and what does the better way look like today? I can continue with this. So in the old world, when we, and I was actually in that world, I did all the things that I plan to mention here. The design and the delivery were actually very siloed. You would design in your design tool, then you would either email these files or share them in something like Dropbox. And while sharing them, you would prepare all these, what we called red lines, which basically explains you all the spacing, padding between elements, all the necessary information that your team needs. And basically you are trying to explain the design intention in these PDF documents. And you too mentioned as well with the design tools, we recently, see that some teams are also doing these in design files. And what we think is what's happening here now, instead of putting all these resources to somewhere else like Dropbox, we see teams, let's say, duplicating a design file page. They prepare all these manual things in the design file, and then they invite others to look at it. But what is really hard here is you need to maintain this process 
in the place that you actually have to keep iterating. In some of our calls, I even see things like from like screenshots from design tools. They have these separate pages and in that pages, there's a big, large text layer and arrow pointing at some screens as saying, hey, this is not finalized. Don't work on this design. And it's getting really hard to maintain because this process is overall very iterative. That's why at Zeppelin, we think that there is a better way. Design delivery is actually not new. Many of our users, like let's say Autodesk, ArcTouch, they already have an established design delivery process as their one of their core steps. And the way how we divide this process into groups, we think that there are three main components. Damon, I don't know, do you want to jump here to give more details on them? Sure. Like as Palin says, like there are really three pieces to design delivery. The first one is finalization of the design. And what this means is that like developers, testers, copywriters, like all of that multidisciplinary team that need to bring that design to life, like have it being a living app and code, for them to do that, they actually need a locked design. They, like, as Palin said, even one small change, you move something a couple of pixels, can have a major impact downstream on this app, right? Um, so you need this lock design. Um, that's core to design delivery. Like, is the design locked? Or am I looking at the native, like, you know, file that I don't know if it changed five minutes ago? It's the age-old question of, is this really the final version? Or is there still a more final, final version final. to come? <laughs> Totally. And like in the old days, like in the old world, like people would literally do like final dash five, final, final dash five dash one. Like they did that. I think the, you know, we are seeing people just say, well, check my design file and the latest one is in there. But it's really just the same problem. You're just masking it. So finalization is key. Here I can jump saying, because this was a discussion we had with Neyman before. Then we say finalize. I was like, arguing with name on, hey, there is no really a finalization with design. You keep iterating. It's not the final, final version ever. But I think it's more on the clarity of, like giving the clarity of what we will be working on this specific phase. Yeah, that's true. Like that's the irony of final design. Like there is no final. Like think about like the apps you use every day to like hail a cab or book a hotel or whatever. Like those apps get updated usually every quarter, or every month, like on your phone or your device, right? Like those apps are never final. The The app you use to book a hotel today is probably looks completely different than that same app, you know, even six months ago. And so they're actually never final. That's why we use this term finalization, which means that, hey, like, is it ready for the rest of us to dive in and build this thing? And so that's like super, super important in design delivery is having a finalized design, even though we know there's no such thing as final. And I can like mention a real life example here. As a designer, I work on a page. Let's say it takes a week for me to finalize it. And then I don't know if my developer will start working on it next week or the other week or tomorrow. I also don't know, like it might take, let's say a month for them to build it or a week. But while they're working on these designs, I'm actually not pausing, I'm not stopping. I actually have to keep working on the next iterations. Like if they're working on the version one, I need to keep iterating for version 1.1. I'm constantly iterating on this. That's why it's becoming more important 
for me to be able to communicate what is the locked version that I want to share with my developer. Yeah, that's an excellent point. Like by having that locked version, the designer can keep working on the next great iteration, which you know is part of design delivery for sure. The second one, Blake, is something we think of as inclusive collaboration. What we mean by inclusive collaboration is that at this design delivery phase, as Palin mentioned, you are bringing together an incredible variety of disciplines. And so they really need a unique workspace for them uh, that spans their different functions. Like, think about it. It's a workspace where developers are going to need code, you know, samples that they're going to put in like React code. And it's that same place where copywriters are going to come in and need to experiment with, you know, UX copy in multiple languages. Like, those are two pretty distinct functions. And like you need a place that's inclusive to both of them, where not only can they use that collaborative workspace without training, so you know it's pretty general, but at the same time, it also has to give them like really specific functional output, like code samples, right? Like that's really key to a design delivery function is being able to span, you know, all of these different needs that come in. I can also jump here to give some more context on how it looks like in a real project. Let's take a login screen. We all logged into apps before. And I mentioned I worked at an agency. In that agency, I worked on Turkey's largest e-commerce apps login screen. I worked on a huge bank's login screen. I worked on Zeppelin's login screen before. And these are all very different companies. These are all very different type of group that I worked with. But one common thing was that whatever the company type of the team size of you are in, you have a lot of people that has diverse skills. Let's say for that login screen, your developers needs to understand the layout and identify the React components, let's say, that they need to use in that page. And in the meantime, your QA engineer is trying to make sure that that screen will behave right in different devices. And your copywriter at the same time will need to understand the context first to communicate well with your users, or let's say they will work on localization of that copies. And again, those are incredibly different functions. And design delivery is all about bringing these people together, like providing them an accessible place or workflow to actually work together to achieve the results that they are aiming for. It makes sense to me. I, I know one thing that I initially thought of when I thought about the design delivery concept, it made sense to me that designers and developers would be in that equation and that there needs to be collaboration between those kind of two parties. But you know, spending more time with you all, it's helped me to understand that it's not just designers and developers, but as you mentioned, product managers, UX people, copywriters, QA engineers, the list goes on. And it really creates this need for, you know, as you describe it, inclusive collaboration, which I really resonate with the idea of multidisciplinary collaboration, that it's kind of context for everybody that's involved in this delivery process at all stages of the delivery process as well, which is a combinatorial challenge when it comes to collaboration. But that is where the opportunity is because that's where the pain is. Yeah, you know, there are really few examples where such different disciplines like have to come together. I think this is really why this sort of developer designer, like th this whole thing has always been such a, a big challenge for the industry, which is like, how do you how do you bring it all together? Right. Like, how do you bring all this stuff together? 
And just making it easy and not requiring training, like, is is sort of, you know, what we're all about. And then the, the final step, it just answer your question, Blake, in, in design delivery. So we covered, like, finalization. Uh, we covered inclusive collaboration. The final one is what we call automation and scale. So this is really all about, like, delivering on designs and eliminating all of the duplicate work that goes on without design delivery. Like, a developer today when they see a design, they may have to code the layout multiple times when they really don't need to. It's like it's probably the same layout, but they don't know that. And there is some great progress that the industry is making in design systems to solve this. The issue just is those design systems tend to be in the design phase. So they tend to help designers a lot. The designers can reuse design elements and not have to duplicate stuff, but it's not moving into the developer world. And so with, you know, a design delivery platform like Zeppelin, what we really do is take things like design systems and we extend them into the developer world. So a developer going into a Zeppelin workspace will very quickly be able to determine like which of these elements that I'm looking at are part of a design system. So I will not have to like recode that, you know, layout multiple times. And then the final bit of it is just automation. Like no two organizations build product in the same way. And so just being able to like, automate that process. You know, we have an open API, being able to like connect to tools you already use today. Um, all of that sort of open platform is also part of, of design delivery. And even for that like automation and you mentioned design systems, I think I have a great example that covering both. Recently, we were talking with a team using Zeppelin. This is a little bit specific, but they have a really sophisticated workflow. That's why I wanted to mention. They were actually with those automations, they were getting rid of multiple steps that they were doing previously. What they did was the team used Zeppelin's API and webhooks. They built a custom workflow that maintains their style guide resources like colors, textiles, component in their code base. And the way how they did it, whenever an asset is updated or added to their style guide, which is the source of truth for their design system, the automation opens a pull request in GitHub to reflect these changes in their code base. And to me, it actually, and we, we are doing the same thing at Zeppelin. This is actually really reducing a lot of steps of back and forth and like, saving a lot of time. I was super impressed by hearing this story. I mean, connecting that design from their style guide and design system all the way into like their repo and GitHub, like that is really cool stuff, right? Like that's just, an, that's an example of a use case that you can perform with a design delivery platform. Like that's the dream, right? Like you design something and it automatically like updates code, like that's pretty amazing. And so, yeah, those are the three pieces, Blake. So as we think about design delivery, how does Zeppelin's product address some of these specific challenges um, that you've pointed to here? Yeah, great question. So there are really four components to how Zeppelin addresses design delivery, and I'll go through them like really quick. The first one is something we call Handoff Plus. When people typically think of Zeppelin, they do sometimes just think of us as a way to provide technical specifications to developers, and that be has become synonymous with Handoff. We actually think of it very differently. That's why we call it Handoff Plus. Handoff Plus is really about that finalization of design that we spoke about, right? Like it provides that source of truth, that crystallized locked version that the team are super comfortable building upon. And of course, we have tailored specs as part of that. But, you know, the tailored specs that we provide are really an outcome of having a finalized design. So that's like number one. Number two is something we call multidisciplinary collaboration. 
So this is like that inclusivity of different disciplines we spoke about. Like we have clarity on version history. We have a way you can organize their designs. That all helps making sure that, you know, this place where we all come together to ship this thing, it's welcoming to all of us. I don't need training on a design tool. I don't like need to do any of these artificial things. The third one is something we call style guides. This is where we really try to help teams extend their design system. Like that example Palin gave is exactly what happens here where, you know, you can connect your components from design all the way to code. It's sort of a living the dream moment. And that's sort of the third piece. And then finally, we wanted to make sure we are customizable and flexible for every workflow. So, you know, we have an API, we have webhooks, we have deep integrations. So you can customize, you know, Zeppelin to fit your specific workflow. And so these four pieces are really like our core value prop. In fact, our engineering team and product team is organized around these four pillars. You know, we're very, very uh, passionate and committed to the design delivery space. So lastly, let's talk about growth a little bit here. So Zeppelin, as you mentioned in the beginning, Palin, leverages a community-driven model that's been very effective for you. So how would you describe your community and who are the members in the community? How do they interact with one another? What do the dynamics look like there? They are, I can say, mainly product designers and developers. And this group of people, they are actually makers. They are living in the building more all the time. They're highly educated. And the reason I mentioned that, that they are makers and they're in the building mode, they actually know what they want. They know how they want it. And they are also very vocal with these things. They are very vocal with providing product feedback. And I think the great thing is that the way how we used it for our growth is what's really nice about our community is that this group, when they find something that they, they really like, they share it. In general, they trust the experience of their peers rather than what they hear through, let's say, a marketing or a sales resource. In fact, actually, our majority of our visitors since the early days, and this is still true today, are people who already know about Zeppelin. They already heard about Zeppelin and from the community and they come to website. That's why I can say that for the specific community, I can for sure say that for them, it's very important what their peers are saying, not what they see on a, let's say, blog post or whatever. I like that idea that I think a lot of times I even ask the question about, you know, kind of community driving growth, which is certainly one aspect of it, the word of mouth kind of amongst the community. But a piece that you mentioned that I hadn't appreciated is the value of community in providing feedback to you from a product development standpoint, product roadmap standpoint, and them being extremely vocal uh, is very helpful to know kind of, did we hit the mark? Did we miss the mark in terms of what we just shipped and where should we be going next? <laughs> Blake, I actually even got really wireframes and actual designs from designers. <laughs> That's the level of feedback that we are actually getting. <laughs> That's amazing. So the, the benefit of having designers specifically in the community yes. is that they will start doing, you know, moonlighting as designers for you. <laughs> That's great. So how have you, on the growth part specifically, how have you been able to, you know, kind of harness and amplify the power of the community to, to drive the growth piece? To be honest, we don't really have a formal community program. We're just building those. But one thing that we did since the early days was 
we've been very engaged with the community. The way how we did it was the biggest channel was to engage with our community was support because we were getting not only issues but also feedback from these users. And what we were doing is while we were collecting feedback, let's say we added that feedback to the roadmap, we build it. What we were doing is we were getting back to them saying, hey, this feature that you mentioned, we actually build it. And not only with them, but on our blog posts, on our tweets, everywhere we were saying that, hey, this feature that we are releasing now, it actually came from our users and this is how we actually solved it. And over time, this feedback loop really helped us build very strong relationship with our users that started to become more sticky. That's the way I can say, helped us add new users on top of the existing ones. And in closing, what's your number one piece of advice for a founder or an operator who's looking to embrace a community-driven model? Okay, this is an art one. This is a little bit different for our case. So even we have tens of millions in ARR, even we have all these 4 million users, we actually never had the revenue goal. We never had the user growth goal. But these are all affected by something else, that which was actually our user focus. What we were doing from the early days, that we were talking to users a lot. We were trying to understand the pain points that they're having. And then we were building Zeppelin. And having that user focus really led us, really then helped us have that user Zeppelin love. That then actually lead to a path for user growth and revenue growth. We never really had a goal to sell them. We were trying to help them. That would be like being user focused would be my probably the first feedback advice. No, it's perfect. The The way that I kind of internalize that as I hear you say it is it's kind of focusing on inputs rather than outputs. Outputs is growth and growth is great. But if you only focus on the output, it won't be true and it won't be genuine. It won't be authentic to a community, which in a community driven model, that is what matters. Because like you said, their members of a community tend to be pretty aware of if something's marketing or if something's real and if something is genuine and is truly human. Exactly. And so refocusing that emphasis in community to be about the input, which is really the community member, which is really the user themselves. And if you do that well, and if, like you said, Palin, if the goal is to help, then good things will happen. The output will come, but you got to focus on the right inputs. Exactly. Yes. Well, Palin, Naaman, this has been an amazing conversation. Thank you so much for joining us here today on the Build Podcast. Thank you, Blake. Thank you. It's awesome. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Thanks for listening to this episode of Build. If you like what you've heard, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to stay up to date with all the new episodes. Follow me, Blake Bartlett, on LinkedIn to join in on the conversation and let me know what you think about the show. Join me this season on Build as we look into the brilliant minds scaling Slack, Notion, Atlassian, and more to discover what it takes to build an awesome product and achieve hypergrowth across every stage of maturity. 
from seed to IPO and beyond. Now, if you're ready, let's build this together. See you next time here on Build. Build.